0: Welcome to another episode of the Women Who Sport lockdown series. We'd like to thank our sponsors, that is Virtual Wealth, who have helped us set up this podcast, Badge of Shame for supplying our little artwork, and then Sharon Martin, who's provided the song the Old Daughter of Scotland, in the intro. It'll be played again in the outro of this podcast.
1: Always be proud of who you are. So go and shine and live the You can be
2: anything you believe you can be In today's lockdown edition, we're joined by Mary Earps. She's a football goalie, having waited patiently for her England senior team call-up. Earps has now got eight caps to her name, which include World Cup involvement in last year's tournament. The 27-year-old formerly played her club rugby with the winning German side Wolfsburg and returned home to English World to join Man United at the beginning of 2019 domestic season. We've been fortunate enough to speak to some super talented athletes, but none have been goalies. May sound weird, but you're one of a kind. No other position on the pitch required the same mental edge as a goalkeeper, surely? We haven't interviewed any goalies before, um, and we kind of briefly in the intro touched upon how being a goalkeeper is something else. Like it, it, ha- it requires totally different skill set to, I believe, other players on the pitch. Why did you end up being a goalkeeper? What was it that drew you to that position?
3: Um, I mean, it happened relatively early on, to be honest, because, you know, at first I just kind of kicked the ball around with my brother in the back garden and then um, went to join a local girls' team, but there wasn't one. So kind of went down, trained with my brother a little bit, but had to wait a couple of years before I could um, join a girls' team. One didn't exist and... I couldn't play games with my brother because we were at that age where you can't mix. Like now I think the age is a lot higher, but anyway, in long story short, in one of my first games, I must've been like 11, maybe 10. um, We were all kind of taking turns in goal and I saved a penalty and that was it. Then the rest is history. I just didn't want to play any other position. Um, Yeah. And then I think, I remember like, my dad was standing by the goal, you know, very Sunday league, you know, your dad's chatting to you, you're cartwheeling around the pitch, you know? And then um, I remember like, the, so the penalty happened, I saved it. And my dad was like, see if, if anyone else was in goal, they wouldn't have saved that, you know, cause I'm like 10 and I'm a girl and most of the girls would like jump out the way of the ball. It wasn't because I had any sort of special technique. Like it was just because I would put myself in a position to save it, you know? And that was it. Then I trained as a goalkeeper ever since. I didn't want to play anything else. Like the buzz of that was just, yeah, beyond. So, um, yeah, that was that was kind of how it happened.
0: I've got um, a sad story about playing goals in school. So I played football from a high school team, but I was like terrible, like really below average, like was just there to make numbers. So they put me in goals because I was so bad. <laughs> we had a game that went penalties and they took me out of goals. So, like, somebody else went and goes to save the penalties, which mm. is, like... Don't worry. That still, happens
3: in, that still happens in professional football now. Like, in the World Cup in
0: Holland, I've done it a
3: few times, where, like, like okay, this is going to mean nothing to you, but, like, Sillison, um, he was, like, the number one goalkeeper, and then for the penalty shootout, they brought on Tim Krul. So you're in good company. It's fine. Like, it happens.
2: Happens to everyone. So is, is, is that <laughs> yeah. just because their skill set lies within penalties? Or can they read it better? Or why do they do that?
3: I mean, to be honest, if that was me, I'd be pretty upset to get substituted for another goalkeeper just for the penalty shootout. But, um, I mean, it was a big talking point at the time. It was the World Cup a few years ago. Louis van Gaal was the, was the manager. And he brought Tim Krul on. And I think they even had two penalty shootouts in like back-to-back because it was like quarter semifinals, semi-finals, you know, like knockout games. Um, and in the first penalty shootout, it worked. Like Tim Krul saved uh, two penalties, I think. And so they progressed to the next round. But then, um, yeah, the next round they got knocked out. So if it works, I think it's, it's fine. Um, obviously, it's difficult for the goalkeeper, like, to... It's difficult for both goalkeepers. You've got to come on and you have to make an impact. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of pressure. If you're coming on to save a penalty and you don't, like, it's, it's a high-pressure situation. And then the goalkeeper going off obviously feels pretty crappy that the manager feels like another goalkeeper could do their job better. For You know, they've played the full 90 minutes. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I mean, it must just have been that the, maybe the manager felt like Tim Krul was a specialist or, you know, some sort of penalty expert. I don't know. I don't know what happens behind closed doors, but to make that move is pretty bold. So he must have done something right, you know?
2: So is there a lot of mental prep that goes into being a goalkeeper in terms of like, do you visualise a lot or do you have to, oh you God must God, have just... to work on your mental game a lot.
3: Yeah, I feel like it's, it's a different, you, like you have to have a thick skin for sure, because everyone's always saying like, I spoke about this quite recently, actually, in an interview. That there's always someone who thinks they can do your job better. Like, if you don't save the ball, it's like, well, why didn't they do that? And it's not for the want of trying. Do you know what I mean? Every, you're always trying to save every single ball, but maybe the ball moves. Maybe there's weather conditions. Maybe something. Maybe you're unsighted. Maybe something um, affected your decision making in that moment. But I think it's always easy. It's like it's like that old saying, like you always play your best football on the sofa. You know what I mean? So I think. Um, when you're watching and you can just say, Oh yeah, that's easy. Just do that. Uh, but in the moment, there's so many factors that you're taking into consideration that it's split second decision-making on like, you know, the way the ball struck, what foot it struck with, what technique you're going to use, um, what position you're in, where is your weight distributed? Um, all these things, you know, again, like the way the wind's blowing, is it raining? Is it wet? Where are you going to push the ball to? Are you parrying the ball? Are you catching the ball? um Are you going with one hand? Are you going with two hands? Like, there's so many different things that you you're thinking about, you know, in that moment. So,
0: yeah. So you started push. playing goals at eleven. When did it become like, oh, I want to play for England? Like, I guess when did that change from, like, having fun playing as youngster to like actually having international ambition?
1: I
3: feel like 15 16 probably. Like, I've always been ambitious and determined anyway, as a as a character, I guess. But I think like played Sunday League till I was like 14 and then I went on trial at Leicester Centre of Excellence and that was kind of the first time that I didn't play Sunday League you know that was when it was more serious and um, so I traveled to Leicester two three times a week from Nottingham Um, it's not massively far but it's quite a big commitment for you know for you to be doing while you're at school and my parents were obviously driving me Um, and then when I got to 15, 16, so I, I was doing other activities like judo. I, like judo was probably my main one that I really enjoyed. And it kind of got to the point where I needed to choose between the two. Um, and yeah, I, th- I remember going on like this judo training camp um, and doing like basically fitness sessions, football fitness sessions in the summer in between like my judo classes. And then it kind of got to the point where it's like, right, well, I really can't do both anymore. And obviously the risk of injury is gonna get higher that like the more I'm thrown about at judo. So then um that was kind of I think the main point. And then I got selected for England under 15s. Um that when I when I first moved to Leicester. So by that point I was on like an England under seventeens training program with like, you know, in between judo classes on this summer camp thing. So I was like, yeah, I can't really do both anymore. And then I kind of committed fully and um trained just football then I didn't really I didn't have time to do any of the other stuff I mean I wasn't very good at anything else anyway but um I didn't have time for anything else um and on top of school and and all that and then I just tried to always move or give myself give my career the best opportunity um give myself the best chance by moving to different clubs or getting more game time or moving to better coaches that sort of thing
0: do you think the judo helped with your football skills?
3: I think it helped with my ability to fall that's kind of the biggest thing I can like I didn't have a fear of falling or diving you know I feel like that's quite a common question like when I was growing up it's like oh did you does it not hurt and it's like I mean yeah sometimes but like yeah like if I tripped okay it sounds stupid but if I tripped on the street now I would like fall in a judo type way, which is you kind of like hit the fo- hit the floor and like break your fall with your arm. It's sort of like a weird thing to explain, but I would still 100 percent do that just because it's I don't know ingrained in me maybe. And it's sort of I think I don't know what the technical term of it is, but I suppose you like put weight through your hand so it doesn't go through your like if you're falling onto your back, you kind of like you absorb some of the force through your through your upper body and not just the, your back or something. So I think like that's probably helped you know maybe strength wise as well I don't know but I, I think there's definitely I would definitely encourage young people to get involved in many as many different sports as possible because you're all around athleticism like it it's helped by doing different things
0: Oh Bonner always forgets
2: to wear my oh, mic off mute. Oh, there we go that's yeah. the one. I'm on off mute we're good. <laughs> no I think that's so true in terms of doing multiple sports like one of our teammates um, in, the, in the Scotland team used to do gymnastics growing up and her strength is like insane mm-hmm. and I think that's like hugely transferred into like some of the positions she can get into and some of the movements that she can now do. She's got that innate strength that those that haven't done gymnastics for example haven't got so yeah I think that is like a really important message for kids growing up is to try and I guess for as long as possible keep the amount of different sports that they're doing as broad as possible for as long as possible and kind of yeah, specialise when they've got to in that situation that you, you found yourself with football.
3: Yeah 100% I think I especially when I was coaching as well I was asked that question all the time like when should especially with boys because with boys obviously they specialize a lot younger like some guys like kids six-year-old kids will be in academies I mean that's just like an insane period of time to be specialized in just one sport and I definitely think you know like I used to do dancing so it's funny I could never get on a gymnastics course it was so popular where I lived. I always wanted to do that but I used to do dancing like ballet I did a bit of acrobatics and um I definitely can't dance now but I mean I think it helped with my flexibility and as a goalkeeper that's it's super important you need to be obviously you don't need like the distance running like I'm not going to cover 10 11k in a game but the positions that my body gets itself into and has to take force under like you know foot saves like big extension saves with your arms like your body is constantly in uncomfortable positions and I definitely think that's helped
2: mm. So in terms of kind of the training that you've done as a, as a kid in, in prepping you for international career as a senior player what is it like training as a goalie so what would your kind of day-to-day sessions look like are you away from the team a lot or do you spend a lot of time on your own or in small groups?
3: Yeah we typically goalkeepers like well my Thing is that we go out early and we kind of start 15 half minutes, half an hour before the team gets on the pitch anyway. So you kind of get that extra contact time and then you're probably in a small group of just the goalkeepers for, I mean, it depends what time the manager wants you, I guess because obviously we still do need to be involved in possession drills, patterns of play. We need to understand like the formation and the preparation for the opposition at the weekend. Um, but it's also really important that we get our technical work in and our own individual uh, position-specific uh, preparation work for the opposition. So it's kind of like preparing as a goalkeeper as well as then preparing as a goalkeeper for the team. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a lot of time spent kind of in small groups um you know goalkeeper meetings or you're you know you're watching tape at home yourself so um there's a lot of individual stuff that goes into being a goalkeeper
0: what about the strength and conditioning side of it like do you do the same like running fitness as a team or or, like the same stuff in the gym as the rest of the team
3: no like I think wherever possible strength and conditioning programs are quite individual anyway I think obviously goalkeepers need a different they need like a lot of power work and plyometric stuff um so obviously United are like in charge of all my S&C stuff um because I am no expert so if I had to do that my program would be very underwhelming probably a few box jumps oh, really? <laughs> um but yeah like I think obviously United take control of all of that and um we have strength and conditioning coaches that are in charge of programming us but um yeah it is different from the outfield players
2: so roughly, how many goalies does a, a club team have? Do they have, in terms of like, that question we can scrap? <laughs> no, no, that question's
3: fine. I understood what you meant. Um,
2: we can like, just cut I, the, sh- the ramble yeah, yeah. bit. <laughs> you
3: can, I mean, you can reword it later if you want to re-record it. But um, <laughs> the, the like, I feel like the last, like, so I'm obviously at United now and there's like four, five of us, kind of, and... Wolfsburg, there was four or five of us as well, which is really, really unusual. Like that's such a high amount. Um, but the circumstances or for whatever reason. Like Germany always do, do things a bit differently anyway. Wolfsburg are obviously um one of the best teams in the world. So they heavily recruited, um, made sure they were covered. Um, but yeah, there's four of us, I think, at United now. So you sort of have like yeah. I, I guess the typical structure is probably like a, a number one, a number two, and then you maybe have like under 21s coming through maybe. Um, but it really depends. Like it's up to, it's obviously up to the club. I would say probably most clubs only have two. Um, whereas at United, I think there's a few good youngsters coming through. So they're like, you know, they join us for training, which is obviously great for them. And, and um, it's great for us. It gives us more servers and, and more people in and around. So uh get the band to fly in, you know, how it is in the sporting
0: world. <laughs> I guess with that number of goalies, I guess it's so good to have that competition and to be like pushing each other to improve. Um, and you touched a bit there about playing in Germany. Like how was that experience? Um, like how did you find club there compared to playing in the UK?
3: I, I think moving to Germany was is the best thing I've ever done um, from both a playing and personal perspective, I think it teaches you a lot about who you are as a person and, um, you know, having to fend for yourself and, um, in a completely different, like country language culture. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was very challenging at times. Um, and, but also really great. Like I found a really great group of friends who I hope will be my friends for life. Like I haven't found a connection with people that I work with like that. Um, and you know i was training with some of the best players in the world every single day and that was an opportunity that i didn't um i didn't and couldn't pass up and um i remember forever you know like we won trophies we were so successful um yeah i had a great time on a personal level explored a new country um met some great people and um from a professional point of view learned so much um a different style of training um worked with who I consider to be one of the best goalkeepers um in the world currently in women's football. Um got to challenge myself and put myself up against her every single day. I mean it was it was unbelievable really. Um Champions League experience in Champions League again and not you know and and the, the best part was winning trophies for sure. I know I've said it once, but I'll say it twice.
0: <laughs> and what age were you when you went over there? Um 25 and you had to yeah, like 25. learn the language like was it going into house with people you didn't know like
3: I lived on my own um I had an apartment by myself um and yeah I tried to learn the language as best I could obviously I only went there for a year um just to kind of experience it and um and and, and do everything like I wanted to play in Germany for so many years so doing that I really yeah I really tried to learn the language I was fortunate that a lot of the girls were international so they most of them spoke English anyway um the rest of Wolfsburg didn't speak English so that was a, a big challenge um I just tried to throw myself into every opportunity as, as much as I can obviously only being there for a year I didn't have to put as much effort into the language but I feel like it's important I think English people have a reputation as well for being lazy because everybody speaks English really um and I think they also appreciated like the Germans and the people at the club also really appreciated the effort that I went to, um, to learn it. You know, I didn't just take it for granted. Uh, but yeah, lived by myself, drove over there, driving over there was an experience in itself. I tried to, we didn't get a lot of days off. We were traveling all the time. Um, but when we did get days off, I tried to go to Berlin and Hamburg and Hanover and Braunschweig and experience and see and, do everything I could and make the most of it because uh, I knew it was only sh- a short-term thing. Um, but yeah, had a ball. Had a ball.
2: Do you think that that put you in in kind of the best place to go into a World Cup, having kind of you? So you started your year in Wolfsburg, the year before the World Cup. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I think. Yeah, I think it was the best move I could have made at the time. Um, I feel like it kicked a different like a different stage of my career on, if that makes sense. Um I think obviously I would have liked to have played more than I did, but I kind of knew that going into uh going into the the contract that I'd signed anyway. And I topped up my games with the under 23s. So I always tried to stay on top of my game time. Um, that was probably the most challenging part, but obviously training with that caliber of players every single day, I couldn't think of better preparation to go into a major tournament.
0: Um, so yeah all round it was a phenomenal year I think it's probably important as well for all of us as athletes to like get ourselves in a position where we are out our depth if that's because of like the competition we're around or because you're in a new city and you don't know the language like that sort of thing like I think it's yeah so important to like keep challenging ourselves because that's I guess that's when you improve the most isn't it when you're in that situation when you're with another goalie who you kind of consider to be like potentially ranked higher than you and like I don't know yeah, for the sure. world of goalkeepers
3: <laughs> yeah yeah for sure I think like for me it was about pushing myself outside my comfort zone I could I really I totally agree with with what you've just said I think you find new levels of yourself when you're uncomfortable and when you're challenged and I think uh, for me it was about like what do I want to do with my life and career do I want to play it safe and like I played in the WSL since I was 17 since it started I'd been playing I think it was what eight, eight years at the time Um, And I'd played Pretty much every single game Within that time You know All the same clubs Same players Same grounds And I think it was important For me to get that fresh challenge And do something new And kind of get out Of a routine But also This was a phenomenal Phenomenal I've used that like three times Like what is that one It was just like (laughs) such a Like it was such a great opportunity For me to do something That not many people Get the opportunity to do Like You know Not many There's I think there's like i think i was maybe there's three or four english people that have like female players that have ever played in germany i think i'm you know i i actually w- i won trophies there and i went to the best team like one of the best teams in the world the best team in germany like when you're growing up and you're like i want to play in germany we played frankfurt in the champions league when i was playing for bristol in uh, 2013 14 no 2014 i think and i remember playing them thinking oh my goodness this is a completely different level like It sounds really crazy, but there was about 2,000 fans at the game, which at the time was unheard of, you know. And they all had their BMWs parked, like, you know, because they were sponsored by BMW. And the game was just so far ahead, Uh, not only in terms of, like, the marketing and the support that they had, but also the style of football that they were playing, the players that they had on the pitch from all corners of the world. And you just think, yeah, that's something I want to be a part of. And so when the opportunity came through, what, four or five years later, it just yeah, it seemed like a no-brainer to me to just, yeah, get out, do something a bit wild and really, really push myself and challenge myself.
2: That is pretty amazing. And did you then find it quite a different situation going into World Cup, having to play then against your teammates? How did you find that?
3: Yeah, it was it was weird in a way at times because, you know, we're prepping for people that you've played against, but it, gave, it gives you a good advantage, you know, because you've got like insider knowledge and we you know we did that you know the coaches wanted to know inside information you know if you had any so like you know a lot of the players play um with the players we played against at the world cup so people would be like right she's heavily right-footed heavily left-footed or likes to do this or likes to do that and of course if that helps your chances of winning a world cup you're you're gonna do it and you're gonna try and prepare as best you can but um yeah it was it, but it was nice to also see some of those faces and you know for their national teams and you know everyone you know you know how it is in sport everyone just everyone's super competitive but then you want to be competing at the top you know so when you're you get to train every day with those types of players and then you see them in their national team environment it's also really nice to be like yeah look this this is a nice level that we're at now you know it's not sunday league at the park like look at
0: where we are that takes us on really nicely to kind of like our next question in terms of like how was that world cup experience um like from an i guess outside perspective it seemed like there was a lot of pressure on england like going into that um maybe i've got that like totally wrong but yeah like i don't know how did you find that whole world cup experience and how would you reflect on it now i mean it's weird because obviously a lot of times pass now but i think the
3: the way i always the, the way i look back on it is basically up until that Semi-final game up until the USA game, everything was playing like plain sailing. Like we, I think we were playing pretty well. Um, we we didn't play amazingly in every single game, but we're obviously winning and things were clicking and it was all going really well. And then we played against USA and we actually played a really tough game uh, in the sense of it was so close. That's probably the closest USA game. Um, that, that I've ever seen and been a part of. Okay, we beat them in the She Believes the year before, but I'm talking about in like a, a, a World Cup type game where everything's on the line, a semi-final game. That was a really, like, I felt like there was really great football on show from, from both teams. And it was really nice to compete on that level. And I really feel like we, of course we fell short in some areas, but I felt like, you know, VAR decisions, if they'd have gone a different way, on a different day we would have won that game and so in one way that's a great feeling but it's also a really crappy feeling to come so close and everyone was so in it you know like it just like crashed after that game emotionally everything just crashed um from a pressure point of view maybe it's because you know I wasn't playing and I was um yeah more of like, like let's be realistic i was the third goalkeeper third trace goalkeeper so i was more of a squad player and i my focus was preparing the team and obviously being the best support i could be to help the team win so maybe i didn't feel that pressure but it didn't feel like pressure um at all really like we'd put pressure on ourselves going into the tournament by telling people that we wanted to win it so i felt like the pressure came from that w- which we'd put on ourselves. um I think we could feel the support of people behind us. The media was starting to really get behind us and it started to really grow as a big sporting event. You could feel the coverage growing and growing and growing, but it never really felt like pressure from, from my point of view. I don't know if the other girls would have felt differently. Um, I felt like we were really focused on what was happening, um, in, in, in house and what we were doing and, we were really busy as well. We were like, France is a big country. We were always traveling. Like there was always a lot going on and, you know, games come thick and fast. So you're just constantly like, you're just on this train where you're constantly preparing for the next game and the next thing. Um, whether that's on the pitch, whether that's in meetings, whether that's recovery wise, um, it was just nonstop. Um, but yeah, I, I think up until that semi final where obviously then we lost and then then after that to make matters worse we then lost the bronze medal game up until that point it was it was an unbelievable experience i mean it still was an unbelievable experience but the the i don't even know how you call it but like the fall and the come down after that usa game was beyond anything i've ever experienced in my whole entire life i couldn't believe it like even the euros uh, a couple of years prior we lost to holland in the semi final and it was it wasn't even a close game like we weren't at the races we lost 3-0 but I genuinely thought we were going to win that trophy and it was it was really sad like and really disappointing that we didn't win the trophy and then but it was sort of like the World Cup was I don't know if it was because I'd made the squad this time like I was taken as the fourth goalkeeper for the Euros and I was taken as the third goalkeeper for this so I was officially in the squad and I was a part of everything or maybe I it's because I'd been a part more of the World Cup qualifying build-up I don't know what it was but the come down was incredible it was I don't even I can't I still can't describe it to this day it was just beyond anything I could have ever imagined so sad and disappointing and felt unfinished um yeah so I guess I still haven't not that I still haven't got my head around it. I guess I've not really actively thought about it because it's all those emotions are just are crazy. But um, I think you just have to try and put it as extra fuel in your tank going forwards to to win the next one. You know, the Euros and well, obviously the Olympics first and then Euros 2021, like, that would be unbelievable to win that on, you know, on home soil. So whenever they take place now, I mean, it's still a bit up, up in the air with all this coronavirus, so... Uh, We'll see what happens.
2: We have like post-tournament blues, like after Six Nations, for example. But that's a tournament that happens every year. I can actually think about how it must feel after a World Cup. I guess you go from spending pretty much every minute of every day with your teammates and you're riding such an emotional roller coaster with them. And then to kind of come out when you didn't expect to, or even if you came out, after winning a final and the elation of that, you would still probably suffer those like proper blues after a tournament like that. Probably.
3: I mean, I would like to win one and then suffer. with after that. <laughs> I mean, But um, I don't, I don't know really. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think um, that I just know that the emotions of it were, were crazy. Like you experienced so much in such a short space of time as you say like six to eight weeks of intense preparation on top of the like two years qualifying process that you have going into that um yeah crazy 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 game this game we play
2: before you mentioned um playing against a german side and they kind of had all their bmws and things and how the game was so much more advanced at the time than it is Mm -hmm. I guess in England now, we've probably still got a way to go given that the ban, well, the FA only lifted that ban, what, in 1971? So it's probably only mm-hmm. like 50 years since women have had like a consistent block of football. How do you think the women's game has changed? Do you think there's still quite a long way to go or do you think you're on the right tracks?
3: I, I definitely think there's, there's a long way to go. But if you compare to where it was, so the WSL started what when I was 17, i just turned 17. So, 10 years ago, then you're going, the progress it's made in that time is like unbelievable. You know, like I've gone from training like twice a week with a game with Doncaster to now playing for Manchester United, having been away abroad. Like, I'm a full time professional. Like, this is my job. You know, back then I was doing my A levels and also working at a cinema. Um, you know, I remember the manager calling me, telling me that I was going to play against Birmingham the next day and I was working in the cinema. I was working a six to ten shift at the cinema. And he was like, well, you better get home and get to bed because you're playing tomorrow. And I was like, I mean, I can't leave yet, but okay, I will be home as soon as I can. You know, like, the to go from that to where we are now is, is it, you know, is unbelievable. You know, there's so many people who do this as a full-time job. It's given so much opportunity to players who've you know older players who've helped grow the game and also younger players coming through and the younger players coming through are going to get so much more than what I did and I got so much more than what the some of the older players did who've now retired and um, so I think there's definitely an appreciation for that but I think you know we need to grow attendances we need to get bigger um, deals with uh, bigger brands to invest more into the game and tv rights and all that sort of thing like to just keep reinvesting into the game keep giving younger players an opportunity to do this full-time to have higher level coaching to um yeah to have an opportunity to to be super super successful at what they do um you know i'm really grateful for the journey that i've been on and i wouldn't change it you know like i have a degree which probably the younger players coming through might not have, they might not be able to do that. They might have to come out of education at 16, 17, 18, and go into full-time football, which obviously has its downfalls, you know? Um, But hopefully as the game grows and it's just, I feel like it's just a cycle, you know, like the more, it's not about money, but it's about the more investment there is, the more players can play full-time, the better the game gets the better the coaches get, the better the game gets. The more people want to come and watch it, the more people pay to watch it. The higher demand there is for TV to get involved, then the TV start uh, investing in it, then the investment starts all over again. And you just have this cycle of um, the game growing. And that's what just needs to happen um, for for, for many years to come. And then I think it will be, you know, a really, like, not only like a really great thing to watch. I think people always comment now about, oh my goodness I'm so surprised it's actually great to watch and that's just going to keep getting better and better and better and the players are going to keep getting better and better and better and then hopefully you know England will be start winning trophies and then it just keeps growing and growing hopefully that trophy winning run will start I mean Olympics but obviously that's Great
0: Britain and then 2021 uh home euros so you mentioned, like, getting your honours degree from Loughborough. Um, yeah. Do you see that at the time as, like, really important for kind of life after football and getting prepared for that?
3: Yeah, I think it was important for me as uh, – just, like, as a on a personal level anyway, coming out of school and I, f- I felt like I wanted to, to do a degree. Um, but, yeah, for sure, I think it's really important. Like, I've run my own coaching business previously. Obviously, I stopped when I went to Germany. Um, and so that degree has come in handy anyway. And I think it, it's it's really important to, to have something else, I think, in because you do football full-time and to have something else on the go, another passion, it keeps you sane. Uh, but, yeah, I think football won't last forever. That's the reality. It could end tomorrow. It could end in 10 years. I mean, 10 years would be amazing. Um, and then hopefully, I've, as you say, I've got something to fall back on or at least have a higher starting block than what I would have had if I hadn't done a degree you know
2: do you think having that backup dual career option has helped with any challenges you face in terms of injury or having a bit kind of getting yourself in a bit of a mental hole with football and having actually the degree to fall back on or an external focus really useful I think it's
3: helped in terms of maybe problem solving stuff um I think I am the type of person that likes to have a strategy and a plan so to have that degree and maybe that element of critical thinking I mean I'm no academic don't get it twisted but you know to just be able to yeah problem solve maybe sit back and think about things from a rational point of view football can be really emotional but it's a business at the end of the day you have to make business decisions um so sometimes it's important to sit back or have the ability to sit back in your own situation which is not the easiest thing to do so yeah maybe sometimes um uh but you know when football's not going well or you know you've just lost a game having a business degree doesn't necessarily comfort you uh but I think it just gives you that sort of look like I I have something for when when it does end whether it's tomorrow like I do have something that I can use like pretty much straight away you know I don't have to go and qualify in something for four years I have a good start base here and so yeah maybe that is comforting on some level
0: if we were to ask you kind of looking back on your career you've played in Germany you've played for Manu, you've had like world cup experience if you were to choose like a highlight out of all that um, and then on the opposite end like a biggest challenge like what would they be Whoa! Um,
3: highlights: winning trophies at Wolfsburg, Go, be, going to Wolfsburg, signing for Wolfsburg, winning trophies at Wolfsburg. That whole year was a huge highlight, though there were definitely challenges. Um, but yeah, amazing to win two trophies, um, and to also have the year with surrounded by great people. Um, making my England debut, going to a World Cup, going to a Euros, uh, playing against Germany at Wembley. Wow! That was big highlight. Amazing. Um, but the Barcelona game, the
1: um,
3: to qualify for the, to get through to the quarterfinals of the Champions League with Bristol uh, many moons ago, 2013, 2014,
2: somewhere, yeah, I think 2014.
3: Um, that that was a big highlight. That was a crazy experience. No one expected us to beat Barcelona. as like a David and Goliath type thing. Um, Um, Yeah, like those probably are my big ones. Captain in England under nineteens—that was a big highlight for me at the time. Um, My family came out to Turkey to watch, and then I didn't tell them, and I walked out with the armband on. So that was a really proud moment. I've had some really great. Those are probably my biggest, biggest, biggest ones. Um, And I'm fortunate enough that a few of them have happened really recently. You know, like the Germany one was the back end of last year, and then Wolfsburg was obviously last year. challenges I mean I feel like you face challenges all the time like the highs and lows of the game are crazy I think what you'll realize when you play professional sport is that there are a lot more lows than highs not to be pessimistic and drastic and dramatic about it but there's a lot more days where you miss a lift or you feel tired or you'll wake up with a niggle or you didn't quite nail the technique or you didn't train as well as what you wanted to there's a lot more moments of that than Playing at Wembley in front of eighty thousand people, like that's the cherry on top of the cake that you work tirelessly for, and you don't know if those opportunities are ever going to come. You know, you wake up every day striving towards a goal that realistically you have no idea whether it's going to happen or not, and that's kind of is a is a double ended sword. You know what I mean? Like that's the beauty of it, but it's also really difficult when you face challenges like that every single day to keep going and being relentless in the pursuit of your dreams. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge, the uncertainty, the insta- instability of everything, knowing it could all stop at any point and you could be giving everything to something that may or may not happen. Um, that's probably,
0: I don't know if that answers your question. That was another rambling. No, I think that's such a good point. And I think it takes, I don't know, there's 12 spaces on a team. It takes 40 people having the goal to make that team to like make those 12 the best that they can be
2: yeah no I agree it's a proper it's a proper realist outlook on it and it's not kind of sugarcoating that actually those highs and like pure elation do come quite rarely Mm -hmm. but there's something that just keeps you going and keeps Mm -hmm. you like sucks you in isn't there that to keep grueling through those horrible sessions or lifting when you really don't want to I guess those highs do make up for it
3: yeah and it's hard like it's I think people talk about the glory all the time but it it's it's very hard to be a full-time athlete like you guys you know like it's very hard to be an athlete you you guys know like it's not people talk about all the good stuff and it takes a lot of hard work and sacrifice and desire and determination and character and ambition that you need so many qualities and it's really easy to look at an Instagram picture and think oh this person's got their whole life together and yeah. They played at Wembley and yeah. And it was amazing, but don't get it twisted. It it was years and years and years and years of, of hard work and sacrifice. And that's, that for me is the, the challenge. It's not wanting to do the work. Like I'm always more than happy to do a gym session, you know, you know, Bonna, we are in, we were in base all those years ago. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, It's overcoming all the obstacles and adversities along the way for something that's, um, that's uncertain. You know, you have a lot of people telling you, you can't, you have a lot of, you know, social media now, a lot of people with opinions, you've got to have a thick skin and have a belief in yourself, believe in yourself when no one else does. Like that's, that's hard. That's hard to do. Um, it's, it's not easy. It sounds easy. Um, but it's not. And you know, the higher you go, the bigger your profile gets, the more people have an opinion the more your flaws are available to everyone to see and ridicule and you have to stay true to your goal and when things are good they're very very good you know you make a great save you know it's everywhere you feel great about yourself but then you you do something that you're not so proud of or you can see the goal you're not so proud of and you have to pick yourself up time and time again and keep going and yeah be relentless in in, and, and that's yeah that's that, that that's a challenge those are the obstacles
2: so we've got one final question left of this podcast and it is as it is the lockdown series have you got yeah. any isolation tips what are you doing to keep yourself motivated and ticking over um i'm actually
3: fortunate enough that man united has delivered some like a barbell with some weights um so i've i've been working on my home gym setup um which I mean like like it's not anything it's a bar with some weights on it but this week <laughs> that has given me a little bit of an extra kick I feel it's hard when you're you know you're just going out for a run or a walk or you're doing um circuits over and over again it's yeah you do you do the circuit a few times and you go wow well, how am i going to do this for 12 weeks this is
1: <laughs> this is going to
3: get all four repetitive skipping in my back on my patio um but yeah so that's been really fun this week to do something and lift again and feel the DOMS. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's definitely keeping me going at the minute. I hopefully that'll that'll that will that that I'll just maybe keep buying things off eBay to add and give me something new to do every week. Uh, but yeah, keeping keeping active, keeping productive. Um, I've been reading a little bit, um, studying German. Um, I've taken on a couple of courses like ed- free education courses um so hopefully that'll be fun just uh time family and friends staying busy staying productive that's what i have to do because otherwise i will drive myself insane but i've got like quite a few mini projects on so i feel super super busy
0: sweet like thank you so much for that i think that's been yeah so insightful and so cool to hear from a goalie who is like in a really unique position in a team sport. Well, no,
3: thanks. Hopefully I didn't bore you too much. I've been told I like to tell stories and that I go all the way around the houses to tell them. So hopefully it wasn't too (laughs) dull. (laughs) No, that was so, so so good. Thank you so much, pal. No problem. Lovely to meet you, Rona. Take care. Nice to meet you. Thanks so much.
1: See you later. Bye, bye, bye. Bye. Because we are doctors, lawyers, mothers, footballers, first minister. Oh, Lordy, we're on the move, and I'm telling you, the glass ceiling's going. we're coming through. Rise up, rise up, take the stage, play your game, don't be afraid. you don't work your art, or Jones of art, always be proud of who you are. Girl, you gotta hold your head up high, don't let this moment pass you by. You can be anything you believe in. Go and shine and live the truth You can be anything you believe you can be